0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hello, my name is James Pywell and this is The 92 Podcast. I'm on a quest to speak to one fan from each of the 92 football teams that make up the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two. Each episode, I'll shine a spotlight on a different club, talking to their fans, playing C games and quizzes, and learning what it's like to be a supporter of their team. In this episode, we take a look at League One's Northampton Town.
0: I genuinely believe if you had those two next to each other, strikers would be scared out of their socks. It would yeah. be that kind of defensive partnership. What this has done, this pandemic, is actually allowed me to watch more games than ever before, even, even more games than when I had a season ticket. I mean, that that first game where we're all allowed back, I can't wait. It doesn't matter where we are, where we're playing that first game, I'm there. And I think every other fan in the world will say that as well.
1: Now, I don't really know anything about Northampton, except that they play in League One, which is why I'm joined on this episode by Charles, host of Northampton Town Podcast. It's all cobblers to me. Hello, Charles. Welcome. Thank you for coming on to have a chat with me.
0: Hi, James. You're very welcome. I'm really pleased to be here.
1: Firstly, then, how long have you been a fan of Northampton Town?
0: Oh, since I was very young. So I think it would be very early 90s. So I, I used to basically pester my dad to take me to the football when i was very young and i the first game that i definitely remember was a 5-0 win over chester city at six fields which would have been around about 95 maybe i i apparently i was taken before then but i've got no memory <laughs> of it whatsoever okay
1: so who is it that you normally go to games with
0: these days i normally just go on my own so I don't live in Northampton or Northamptonshire anymore. I live uh, in Warrington, which is in the northwest. So... Normally, I will go to the majority of our away games that are up here, so the likes of Rochdale, Oldham, Blackpool, that kind of away day that I could normally get to, and therefore I, I tend to go on my own. But when I first started going, it was my dad that took me. We had season tickets together for many, many years. I think my last one was the would have been probably the o two o three season, and basically depending on where the game game is, then dad will travel up. And we'll meet up and then we'll we'll stand together, sit together, if our tickets allow us to do that. Other than that, I, I tend to just meet up with anybody and anyone that will kind of let me in, <laughs> which is one of those things where you just kind of turn up to whichever town it is that, that we're playing in, try and find the place where the Cobblers fans have gone for their, for their pre-match beers and food, and just walk in and hope that somebody is there that you recognise, and then just go and have a chat. So, yeah, I I tend to go on my own, but then meet people there, and it can be literally anybody.
1: Are you one of those kinds of football fans, then, that will literally speak to any fan?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm one of those people. I I don't (laughs) think it's necessarily that I'm a football fan like that. I'm one of those people. I will literally just quite happily speak to anybody and, uh, yeah, give anybody a go. And everybody is interesting, and everybody has an opinion, and you know, that might be the same or it might be different to me. But either way, I always enjoy having that kind of conversation and and finding out what other people think. Otherwise, I think you live in your own bubble, don't you? And that can be quite boring.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you said that you enjoy finding out other people's stories. What is it that attracted you to football in the first place and not another sport like, you know, rugby or cricket?
0: Oh, do you know what? I... I, I, (sighs) I don't know. (laughs) I think, right, so put it straight out there, I can't play football, right? I'm rubbish. Always have been. When I was at school, I I used to try, I used to, you know, train with the school football team. I even used to train with my local youth football team a place called Rawns and it was Rawns Tigers that I used to go and think training was always on a Saturday morning and then games are on a Sunday. I never got picked to play a game, ever. And, yeah, when I was a kid, that, that was quite you know disheartening in a way. But in a way now, I look at it and I just go, no, I wasn't good enough to play. Uh, I played rugby I, at school. I was pretty good at playing that. But it wasn't something that I was really interested in watching. My dad took me to watch Northampton Saints the same in the same sort of two-week period as he took me to my first Cobblers game. And it was basically a case of whichever one you like the most... That's where we'll go to, and we'll become regular fans of. But I think I'd already gone to the Cobblers game beforehand, already been hooked in by that. Went to the Saints match wearing a Cobblers like uh, baseball cap, <laughs> got like hounded by other kids of my sort of age. You're at the wrong place, mate, and all this, that, and the other. And um, yeah, just, um, just it was football. Always was football. I don't it's it's such a difficult question to answer it really is because I just kind of go I don't know it's always been football I've played other sports I played water polo at uni I was keen swimmer I'm a runner now but everything always comes back to football for me
1: I think it's just one of those sports isn't it where you get the bug and unfortunately you're stuck with it for the rest of your life once you become addicted or you have an affiliation with a certain club you feel like you're in it for life really
0: absolutely yeah and it's it's a love hate relationship as well oh, yeah. when 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 your team is is doing terribly and doing really badly then sometimes you can really fall out of love with the game and it's not just the you know the game in terms of watching your team it's the whole thing a few years ago i remember we were we were really every season seemed to be a relegation battle at the bottom of League Two. So we were in danger of going out of the Football League. And it just sucked the life out of me. And I, just, I couldn't watch Match of the Day either. It was the whole sport. I just wanted it to do one and go away. It was, it was not a fun time to be a football fan. But then obviously the, it's those lows that I think make the highs so worthwhile and so good.
1: We'll come on to some of the highs and lows of football in a moment, but you mentioned falling out of love of the game there. How has it been for you not being able to get to games? Is the love of the game been
0: lost at all? I wouldn't say it's been lost. I'd say it's very different. Yeah. You know, watching on iFollow every week is nowhere near <laughs> the same as as obviously going to a match. However, I'm kind of in a unique position here I think so as I said I, I live in Warrington so I'm about 150 odd miles away from Sixfields yeah. I, I didn't have you know the capacity to be able to go to every single game especially you know I think I'd make maybe two to five home games a season normally what this has done this pandemic is actually allowed me to watch more games than ever before even even more games than when I had a season ticket when I was a kid you know it's In a way, it's really, really good. However, I say that and I know full well there's going to be people screaming (laughs) at at their their phone or whatever it is that they're using to listen to this on and they're just going, how can you say that? But, you know, I've I've not missed a match this season. I'm, I'm like the most dedicated fan ever, except I watch all the games from the comfort of my living room. But yeah, it is different. It's not the same. And there's that whole thing of being like, I'm watching on a tiny screen on my iPad and, and, you know, there's no real atmosphere at the game. And uh, yeah, it, it's not the same. It doesn't compare, is it? No, no it doesn't. That, that's right. It's different, but it, it doesn't compare to, to what we would normally experience and what we really want to experience and what football is actually all about is that community on a Saturday getting together or two communities coming together for a big battle royale in a game of football. It's just lost that Twitter doesn't isn't the same. No. Twitter's too, you know, horrible. I hate it. You know, for both sides, it's you know, on a match day, you, you might get... It's this thing, and I know this is a complete tangent. I'm really sorry, but it's this whole thing where you've got people that... Yesterday, for example, our game against Oxford, it was a home game. It got called off for a waterlogged pitch. Nothing we could do about it. Right. There were quite a lot of floods in Northamptonshire. My dad told me that the bottom of his road, he couldn't get out to just go down to the library where he volunteers. And that was because there was a flood. He couldn't get past the flood. So the pitch stopped the game from going ahead. And yet there were people that, supposedly Oxford fans, replying to the official message on Twitter from the, from the Cobbler's Twitter feed saying hashtag tin pot <laughs> and all this. That and the other. But that was it, literally just that. Nothing else, just hashtag Timpot. And then you've got other people saying, oh, you had five hours to get it on. What a rubbish team, blah, 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 blah. And you think to yourself, I'm not going to get involved here, but... In your mind, you're just going, oh, I'd love to reply, going, mm, you're calling us Tim Pot, yet yeah, you lot were in the conference five years ago. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a different kind of, you know, that that kind of thing wouldn't happen face to face. And it, it, yeah, it's not anywhere near the same. And and if anything, it's probably, it's worse in terms of everything just boils down to hatred quicker.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's so easy on social media to hide behind a profile and, some of the things that some of the football fans are saying on Twitter, they definitely would not say to your face or even shout out at a match, would they?
0: Absolutely not. Definitely not. And also the one thing to sort of remember is that half the time they're kids. Yeah. So it's their one chance to sort of tell a 30-year-old to, you know, go away or <laughs> worse <laughs> yes. words than that, obviously. But, you know, to to say ridiculous things that in reality that they they'd be really scared to say. Not because necessarily you're going to do anything, but you just don't do that to somebody 20, 30 years older than you.
1: How do you think (laughs) your experience as a fan is going to change once COVID is over with, we've all got our vaccines and we're allowed to go back into stadiums? Do you think you'll go to more matches or do you think you'll carry on just watching them on iFollow?
0: So like I said, because I'm in this unique position where I'm too far away, there is definitely, and I have already actually spoken to our chairman, Elwin Thomas and, and said to him look for, for people like me I follow is actually really good, I really like it I'd love it to still be here yeah. but obviously the worry is for the football clubs and understandably the worry is, is that a lot of people would say that, more people than they want to and therefore the attendances at the actual games would reduce, that's the worry now I'm of the opinion that this is the 21st century if you go to America then and you watch the NFL then I'm sure you'll probably already know this if you're a fan of that. But in America, you can buy a a TV pass for your team for the whole season. And then you can watch every single game. But that doesn't stop people going to the matches in their... Hundreds of thousands in some (laughs) cases. It's ridiculous how many people go and watch NFL games, especially when you find out how much a ticket is and you're right (laughs) up in the gods and you're further away from the pitch than you are at Wembley. It's ridiculous. But that hasn't stopped people going to the games and and still supporting those clubs financially by buying tickets. I don't think that that would happen here with, with football. However, I do understand that there is that worry and that fear from you know, ownership point of view. The people that run the club it is their livelihood. For me, I mean, that, that first game where we're all allowed back, you know, not just the the 1,000 or 2,000 fans yeah. trialy things that we've had. I can't wait. I, it doesn't matter where we are. Where we're playing that first game, I'm there. And I think every other fan in the world will say that as well. You know, it will be a case of turning around. If I have to, I will be actually ringing the chairman of the football club saying... <laughs> Can I get a ticket? Please. I know I'm not, you know, a a season ticket holder. I know I'm not this, that and the other or whatever. But please just get me a ticket. I don't care where it is. I want to be there. And and as I say, it could be, I mean, we've already played Plymouth this season, but it could be Plymouth right down there (laughs) or Portsmouth, you know, right down on the south coast. And I'd still go and I, I wouldn't care. Whereas in normal times, Portsmouth away, especially when we tend to seem <laughs> to play them on a Tuesday night for some reason. Don't know why, but yeah, I wouldn't think twice about going to that game. I'd be like, nope, radio for me. Thanks very much. <laughs> but if it's the first game back, I'll, I'll be there with bells on. I'll have a bloody holiday down there, for goodness sake.
1: <laughs> so what is the atmosphere like at a game at Sixfields?
0: Uh, well, l- like every team, in the country, it depends on yeah. lots who you're playing, what the weather's like, how many fans are actually there. You know, all this, that and the other. A lot of Cobbler's fans. I don't know whether you've spoken to quite a few other fans of other clubs. I don't know whether they've all said the same sort of thing here, but a lot of our fans will, will put our club down. And they do it in a way where they kind of go, well, we're allowed to do it because it's our team. And we love it, you know, even though we're, you know, X, Y and Z is rubbish. It's our team and we love it for what it is. I don't really like doing that. There are people no. that will turn around and say, oh, Sixfields is a library. You know, our, our big yeah. rivals, Peterborough fans, will, will call, they call it the, the Legoland Stadium. Um, you know that, that, that's fine but yeah. you know on a, on a really good match day so let's let's take um, so the best atmosphere that I've been to in the last couple of years we played Derby County in last season's FA Cup third round we the first uh, we, we drew the first game so it went to a replay but in the first game was at six fields and my god the atmosphere was just electric but I was there dead early good couple of hours before kickoff. Outside the ground and there's a, a bar that's within the ground but you access from the outside called Cars Bar. And I was there and there was music pumping DJ out there on, on the little sort of terrace that there is outside. It was really, really good atmosphere. And then we got into the ground and it was just electric and it was fabulous. And those are the, the, the games when you know Sixfields is at its best. And then the game starts and we were really, really good. And and that's the thing. A lot of the time, what, what tends to happen with us is if we have a big attendance or there's a you know big hyped up match, then the players don't perform on the pitch and we'll we'll lose or it won't be a very good game to watch. And within the first sort of ten minutes, the atmosphere starts to fall flat again. Um, but that day was just incredible. And you know there there was a moment in the first fifteen minutes. Jack Marriott, I think it was, was through on goal, and Charlie Good just brought him down. And I think because of the fans being the 12th man, no free kick was given. It was a clear, clear foul. <laughs> and if it had been given, good was off. You know, he was definitely going to get sent off for that. I, th- I think the fans really were the 12th man. And back back in the 90s, Ian Holloway, when he was Bristol Rovers manager, hated playing us. And he yeah. even said um, that, that the fans were like, I can't remember, it was like going into the the Dragon's Cauldron or something like that he really didn't like coming to Sixfields he hated it and he said so in the press I don't know if he he, you know his mind's been changed but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that we've definitely got the better of them I was about to say he's never won at Sixfields but I I, I don't think I'm that confident enough to say that actually but I know he's never had a good good time whenever he's brought a team to here
1: So we'll talk some more about the current season in a bit, but Mm. Northampton were promoted via the playoffs last season with a 4-0 win in the final at Wembley. How did it feel not being able to take that trip to Wembley?
0: Oh, it was weird. Really weird. So we've been to Wembley now four times for the playoffs. So 97, uh, 98, 2013 and last season. And we've now won twice and lost twice. The last couple of times... That so the most recent time that I've been in 2013, AD Boothroyd was our manager yeah. and we played Bradford City. We won't say anything more about the actual game. But I, I remember that day travelling down on the track. So I'd gone down and stayed at my mum and dad's house overnight and uh, I was going to the game with my dad my sister, and one of my best mates, Tim, and I think his partner, Debbie, came as well. So there were like the five of us going down, and we were in the train station, so Wellingborough train station car park, and a bird pooed on my shoulder, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh for God's sake, what a ridiculous start of the day. And my dad turned around and went, no, 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 it's all right. That's good luck. We're gonna win. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Turns out that was a load of old crock, were not it? But anyway, <laughs> um, it was really, it was really fun going down on the train, going, you know, then getting the tube through to Wembley, walking up Wembley Way. All of the, all of that is really, really good, and it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's it's hard to sort of look back when you've come off of the back of a three 0 defeat in a final, but actually it's, it's a really good experience and and it's not one that every single football fan gets to experience it was a really big miss last season not being able to go I mean we did our best to try and keep the spirit of it going we did a live podcast before the before kickoff so we kind of did a, a pre-match show live on Facebook and we just got the club involved, got lots of lots of stuff that you'd expect to sort of see if it was a Sky program and the pre match yeah. build up on Sky. We we basically did our own version of that and we got the club involved, got players to send messages thanking the fans for their support. All of this, that and the other. It was really good, went down really, really well. Then we blitzed Exeter 4 0 and it was like, <laughs> oh my God. What's, what's going on here? Like literally the best two games of the entire last, what, maybe like four years came in the space of a week. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So it was, it was great. But as you say, it was weird not being able to be there. I mean, you know, as good as it was and as mad as it was, because we went back on Facebook after the match and did a live into the very wee hours of the morning. Yeah. Uh, the chairman came on. All of these. Yeah, it was great you just think it would have been so much better had we actually been there that's a shame in a way but hey uh, part of me thinks if we'd have actually gone we'd have lost so it's what of that you didn't go exactly <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so moving on to players then past and present are there any players who've played for Northampton who you've particularly enjoyed watching
0: yeah, I mean there's a lot and there's probably far too many to mention in in just one sort of sitting. The the first player that comes to mind straight away is a player that will probably be said by every single Northampton fan and that's Adebayo Akinfenwa. The love or the mad love as he would call it <laughs> for um you know that he had for the club and that the fans gave back to him in in their droves was brilliant. Um he had two spells with us to date. I mean, I know he's getting close to 40 now, but you never say never. He might come back one day. He's a player that everybody loved to watch. And I think in a way, the fact that he's a big guy, and, and you know, he's not fat. I know that. No, no. <laughs> but the fact that he is such a big guy, and at the time when he was with us the first time, so that was when he started his like clothing branding and stuff. And the first thing that he came out with was this too big to play football. T shirts. <laughs> and to be honest, it, it, it made a lot of people kind of actually go, Yeah, you're right. I, I you know, like I'm a big guy. So I kind of look at him and looked at him and sort of went, There's there's me on that pitch. It was a little bit more than you know, seeing a, a pro. No disrespect, Bayo, Of course, I mean he'd batter me, but you know, <laughs> it, it was that it brought a different dimension to it. I think for me, so there was there was definitely him, uh, and then you've got players like Ricky Holmes who just lit up our season in 2015, 16. Probably one of the best, most talented players that we've ever had. But for me, my favourite player. Of of all time is Martin Smith, son of Pele, as he was coined by <laughs> Sunderland fans. He's a Sunderland boy. He came through their youth team and, and started playing for uh, you know his career for Sunderland. Played for us around about two thousand and I think he signed two thousand and four, two thousand and five, or he might have even been earlier than that, two thousand and three, two thousand and four. But he was um, a Colin Calderwood signing, I think, and he was just brilliant. He could literally. Did you did you see that that I don't know where Twitter or TikTok or some kind of video craze thing where people were doing some sort of karate kick where they spun and try and get a bottle lid to come off? Yes, last yeah. year, Martin Smith could do that with his eyes closed, with his left <laughs> foot. He was brilliant. And I, the one thing that I always remember of him was that he took it. He had a free kick that he scored. The ball was placed, and this is obviously way way before referees had this silly magical spray thing that they'd put down on the floor to tell you where to stand for a wall and where the ball would be for a free kick. Referee says, right, that's where you put the ball, and he goes and measures out the 10 yards or whatever. The ref hadn't marked out a full 10 (laughs) yards. I, I I know every football fan always says that about a wall, but in this case, it was quite clearly obvious. Our players sort of went, hang on, that's not 10 yards. Come on, ref, blah, blah, blah. Martin Smith literally just picked the ball up, moved it back a yard and then struck the sweetest free kick straight into the top corner you've ever seen. And I was right behind it in the goal, behind the goal. And it's just a memory that will stay with me forever. It was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. And it was the fact that he moved it back that yard or whatever it was that really made it for me. It was just brilliant. Martin Smith, you are an absolute legend.
1: How about players that you haven't enjoyed at the club? Is there is there many players that you've you seen got? them play
0: for? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, James, how long have we got? Right, okay. Oh, there's some there's some players. So I'm going to start with a player. Right, this is a bit mean. I, I want to caveat this just to start <laughs> off with. Because there's a lot of stuff about mental health. Like I suffer with my mental health. I I, I don't shy away from the fact that I've suffered from depression and been very low in in my life at times. And I detest bullying, okay? And there is a fine line between football banter, as Richard Keyes might put it, and bullying. (laughs) I like to think that I would never say anything, and we don't say anything on our podcast, that we wouldn't be happy to say to somebody else's face.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: And and therefore, I, I just want to put that out. There's one player from a couple of years ago, uh, Ash Taylor. Now, if you're a Cobblers fan listening to this, you know exactly where this is going. <laughs> but basically, Ash Taylor was signed, I think, by Justin Edinburgh, rest in peace, and played with us for a couple of years. Now, we went through quite a number of managers. Justin didn't last very long. Um, into his, well, what was going to be his first full season in charge, and was quickly replaced by Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. And then Jimmy Floyd only lasted until about February, and his assistant Dean Austin took over. And then Dean Austin lost his job six months later, like 10, 10 games into the following season, and that's when Keith Curl took over. And when Keith Curl came in, one of the things that he said was that it was the characters in the dressing room that was the issue. that was the problem and we'd gone from being League 1 we'd been relegated and then we were looking at relegation back to back in League 2 and it was like oh my goodness this is terrible Ash Taylor went from being the player of the season to being the worst player that I've seen in a long time. No, that's unfair. He wasn't the worst player. But he did get an awful lot of stick. And when he left, we made a big joke of it on our podcast. And we still do. We have a hashtag, which is simply, "By Ash. And sometimes it's quite funny, because you go and look at Aberdeen Twitter uh, after they've played or when they're playing, and lots of Aberdeen fans don't rate him either. And it's quite funny. Again, it's not meant to be a horrible thing. I'm sure he's a lovely, lovely guy, but... For some reason, he became the the bad guy and the fool yeah. guy, if you like, for Cobblers fans. And we tried to do it with a, a hint of, of fun rather than being horrible. He probably wouldn't see it that way. But then again, look, if he came up to me and, and spoke to me, I'd happily sit down with him, have a pint say bye Ash at the end of the conversation and walk away. <laughs> there have been far worse players to play for us. Yeah, honour- honourable mentions, I suppose, go um, to, we had Ashley Corker. Didn't live up to his name. Um, <laughs> what a, uh, he was a full-back, I think. Left-back, mate, well, maybe right-back, I can't remember. But yeah, he wasn't very good. Who else? Alistair Slow, right? This is, <laughs> this is hilarious. So, Alistair Slow, there is a whole mystery surrounding this guy. So he turned up at the football club and nobody knew where he'd come from. Nobody knew of him. And he clearly wasn't a footballer. <laughs> Just clearly wasn't a footballer. Remember the, um, the the guy that turned up claiming to be George Weir's cousin? at uh, yes. Southampton? It was a bit like that, right? But this guy turned up and was in our matchday squad, never played. However, there is a picture of him playing against a very young Harry Kane for our reserve teams against Spurs. And I just dread to think what had happened in that game to this lad. Because like I said at the start, I can't play football. So it would be like me playing. Now the rumour is, is that his dad was quite uh or is quite well off and, and he's maybe a millionaire or something he's a very rich guy and he basically paid football clubs to give alistair slow his son <laughs> a go basically but he was with us for ages and and at the time so uh, gary johnson was definitely a, uh, definitely the manager at the club and he actually followed gary johnson and and went to yeovil after us um, mysteriously and the best thing about Alistair Slow is in 2011 we played Liverpool in the, what was then the Carling Cup and we beat them on penalties one of the best games I've ever seen as a Cobblers fan and will live long in the memory Alistair Slow was on the bench <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely ridiculous so I mean maybe he doesn't quite qualify for answering your question because technically I never saw him play however um, he's got to be the worst footballer in in quotation marks to have ever played for Northampton Town (laughs) Football Club I would say. So
1: this seems like an apt time to ask you to now have a little think and create an all-time 11 for Northampton who would feature on that?
0: Uh, just in case anybody that listens to my podcast is listening, Richard Hope is not in here. <laughs> um, so, um, okay. So I, I've gone with players that obviously I know and a lot of you know people that, that are maybe listening. It depends on your age as to who would make it into your team, right? So yeah. a lot of these players are obviously from maybe the last 20 or 25, 30 years. So in goal, um, I've gone with um, Lee, Lee, Lee Harper, because you have to say it like that. Um, um, Harps was brilliant. Harps was actually the first guest that we had on our podcast. He was on episode one. So... I have to pick him just for that, if anything else. But he was great. A couple of things with him. So first of all, he saved a penalty against Manchester United in the 0304 FA Cup third rounds. We lost the game three 0 but um, it could have been four. And uh, Diego Forlan can't hit a penalty to save his life. So yeah, he saved a penalty against Diego Forlan. Um, and there was another thing that was brilliant at the time when he was playing. The contracts were. A bit like a salesperson, you know, like a car showroom salesperson where you'd have a very poor basic contract, but your salary would be built up, therefore, with bonuses. There was this thing where we were away at Scunthorpe and we lost. or I don't think we lost, but we conceded in the last minute. Lee Harper um, punched the dressing room door and broke his hand and was out for the next few games. And it was this big thing at the time. Oh, my God, Lee Harper's punched the dressing room door. What's all this about? And we found out it was because he'd basically he'd lost money. If he'd have kept a clean sheet, he would have been able to have, you know, I don't know, bought, an, a, I don't know, an extra week shopping or something. I don't know <laughs> what, what footballers would buy. But, you know, it, it was that. So, yeah, I... Just the passion of the guy, and he was probably is one of our best goalkeepers to have played for the club, so that that's why he's in there. Centre backs, I've gone for Ray Warburton, who was a stalwart and is also the captain of my team as well. By the way, he was captain oh, of the Cobblers back in the nineties under Ian Atkins. It was him that lifted the what was then the Division Three playoff trophy at Wembley in ninety seven, so he's in there. Um, I was devastated. He left and uh, was sold to Rushton and Diamonds of all places in around about sort of ninety nine, I think. And I don't know a single Cobblers fan that wasn't devastated when that happened. So razors in there, Charlie Good alongside him. So we, uh, you know, he's the he's the newest player I would say that makes this list. He was our captain last season when we went up and won the playoffs. Just really good. Really good defender and also great at shithousery. Absolutely. I loved him. He was one of those players. If you breathed on him, he'd fall over and he'd hug the ball and get a free kick for it. Get in. Love a bit of <laughs> Um So Charlie Goods next to Ray Walters. I genuinely believe if you had those two next to each other, strikers would be scared out of their socks. It would yeah. be that kind of defensive partnership. Right back, I've gone with Jason Crowe. Right-back's really hard for me. I don't know why. I, I, I can't think of a standout right-back that I've ever seen play for the Cobblers. So I've gone with Jason Crowe, who played for us in the 2000s, was part of our promotion-winning squad, I think, under Colin Coldwood, um, which would have been around about 2005, 2006. So he's in there. He did come back for a spell around about the end of that decade and cut, which kind of soured it for me because he wasn't the player that he'd been when we first had him but th- he's in there for his first spell with us rather than his second. Uh, left back I've gone for John Frayne now Franey was uh, a stalwart of the late 90s side. The actual reason that he's in here isn't because he was the le- best left back that I've ever seen play for the Cobblers. It is simply because he scored the winning goal in the 97 playoff <laughs> final. John Frain in the 93rd, that is what we all remember. So um, there you go. Central midfield, another friend of our podcast, Chris Hargreaves. So Chris is now currently the Bristol Rovers reserve team manager or under 23s manager whatever it is that his job title is he was the midfield stalwart he was brilliant a proper fans favorite he was captain for a period of time and he was also the first footballer that i remember being really honest about life and being, you know, kind of honest about how things worked for footballers at our level, he his contract was up for a nil one season, and there was a real danger that he wasn't going to sign it. Yeah. And my dad turned around, and I was devastated. And my dad turned around and said, "Well, look, you know, he's got a mortgage to pay, he's got a family to feed and to support, and if we've offered him a contract that is less than what he was on with us previously, you're going to look elsewhere." And I remember Chris Hargreaves is basically coming out and saying the same thing in an interview. And so he, he humanised footballers for me. That that sounds daft, but yeah, I, I was probably what sort of early, late teens at, at that time. And he really humanised footballers for me. It was, it was good. So that's why he's in there. Plus he was really good as well. Then we've got John Joe O'Toole proper fan's favourite of the 2015-16 season he deserves to be in there simply because he turned his career at Sixfields around when he first signed he signed from Bristol Rovers Chris Wilder brought him in Um, and he had a really bad bad time of it he actually got sent out on loan he went and played for South End for a month But when he came back, he was a different character. He was a different person and and suddenly became the first name on the team sheet every week. And it was the magic of Chris Wilder. You'll see, I mean, we saw it all last season with him at Sheffield United. That is exactly the type of thing Chris Wilder can do. He can make a player that, for some reason, was awful one year just be David Beckham the next. It's just brilliant. So John Joe's in there. Right wing, we've got Ricky Holmes. Um, Again, not for the spell that he's had with us recently this year, but for his 2015-16 season. Just a brilliant player. Probably the most technically gifted player, the most exciting player that I've ever seen play for us. Scored some crackers as well. I mean, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Martin Smith, I've already talked about him. I don't need to say anything more, but him on the left. And then up front, I've gone for... Scott McLeish, who was a player in the 2000s that was just... We we used to sing, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, uh, about Scott (laughs) McLeish. And he was also the first striker that I remember seeing that scored more than 20 goals in a season for us. So I've got to include him for his goal-scoring record. Um, And then alongside him, Bayo Akinfenwa. And I think I've put Bayo in there because... I was a bit like, oh, it's so obvious. I, d- I don't really like doing that, but yeah. I had a quick look at like the stats for our all-time goal scorers, and of recent times, Bayo is our is our highest leading scorer with seventy-one goals. So he has to go in there. Scott McEachie is on that list, but he's a lot further down. But as I said, twenty goals in a season, you can't knock that. And then Bayo's is Bayo, and I'm scared that if I don't mention him, he'll knock me out.
1: <laughs> Are you confident with that eleven then?
0: I'm, yeah. I I'd be very confident <laughs> with that eleven. I'd um I'd be worried with I'd be worried with my uh, fullbacks. I think is right. is the position. But you know, Razor and Charlie will sort them out.
1: As we're recording this, then Northampton are towards the bottom of the League One table. How would you describe how the season's gone so far?
0: Uh, hit and miss. It's. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's there's a big thing raging amongst the fans at the moment as to whether this might be the least entertaining football we've ever witnessed. I, I think a lot of it has got to do with the fact that we're not able to actually go. I, I think that plays a major part in this. Keith Curl lost his best players that he got us promoted with last season. Charlie Good signed for Brentford. He's our club record sale. Uh, and Vidane Oliver signed for Gillingham probably because they offered more money, um, which is fine. You know, like I said with Chris Hargreaves, it's absolutely fine. You know, these are these are people that aren't in the Premier League. They aren't getting paid multi-million pound contracts. So they've got to take the money in their short career when they can. But yeah, a lot of the players that, that we had last season, especially our back, well, back three defenders and our goalkeeper, they've all left. They've all gone. So and, and, and because of COVID, the budget is smaller, so therefore we've, we've had to sign players that maybe aren't as good as what we had and what we let go. And with that, we're playing very heavy, sort of kick the ball long and hope for the best kind of thing. But Keith Kerr will argue that we're playing the same type of football, the same brand and style of football as we were last season. And you've only got to watch the pre- playoff final from last year to see how good it can be when it goes right. The problem is is that when it goes wrong, it looks dreadful. So it's not great to necessarily watch. But I am one of those people, I'm one of those football fans where winning is what matters. I enjoy watching us win. It might be yeah. the worst game in history and, and we win it in the 97th minute. But we've won the game and that's what you remember, is that elation. And I hate it when we lose. And it's exactly the same. You could play a team off the park and then lose the game. I, I will still have a terrible weekend because we've lost, I, you know, <laughs> you can't turn around and tell me that, oh yeah, but we played brilliantly, we didn't deserve to, don't care, we lost, go away, <laughs> that's my <laughs> my way of looking at football, so yeah, at the moment it, it is a bit hit and miss, it's not the most attractive thing to watch, but we are picking up results and as we actually sit here right now, we are uh, 19th, I think, and we've got we're outside the relegation zone and everybody that is below us has now played either the same amount of games as us or more. So yeah. we're going to stay up on PPG at the very least.
1: <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the manager, Keith Curl, then? Is he the right man to still take the club forward?
0: Oh, is a question. <laughs> we, we joke on the our podcast, on It's All covers to Me, that Danny, one of my co-presenters, um, wrote a blog about a year ago now, maybe a little bit longer, wrote a blog saying Keith Curl out. He didn't. Neil just said it one day <laughs> and it stuck. And um, so, therefore, it's, 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 it's like folklore. It doesn't, never actually happened, but yeah. everyone believes it too. Fake news, I think Donald Trump would say. <laughs> we said uh, over Christmas, so we, leading up to Christmas, the two games just before Christmas Day, uh, we played Lincoln City and Oxford. And we lost both of those 4-0, and they were dreadful. And the game before that, we'd lost away at Crew 2-1. We'd taken the lead in the first minute and then had just sat back and done nothing all game and let Crew attack us until eventually they scored. And as soon as they scored one, they scored the second. Um, So we had three games leading up to Christmas where we were all down in the doldrums. And Danny went, I'm about to go and write another blog. So (laughs) it got to that point where it was like, oh, no. But since then, we've had a couple of decent results. We beat Gillingham 3-1 after Christmas. I think that was the game that was sandwiched between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And to be fair, I think that's actually, apart from the the pizza cup, as we call it, that's that's (laughs) the only game that we've played since Christmas. And um, it it was a good game and we played quite well. So the the issue, as I said before, that Keith Scott is that he's not got the good players that he had last season. We've made a couple of decent signings in the last week, so hopefully they can come into the team and and maybe change our fortunes a little bit. It's going to be close, but I think his remit is to keep us up. I don't think we're in a position to sack him, regardless of what happens. In a way, we were promoted last season. I won't say through luck, because that's not true, but at the time that football was stopped in March, we were going through a bit of a downward spiral, and it would have been quite possible that we would have actually never made the playoffs had the season carried on until you know May, when it should have done. In a way, it's one of those where you're not quite sure whether to say that we were lucky to get promoted. I think we were maybe lucky to, to actually go into the playoffs. The, the games that we played in the playoffs, we weren't lucky at all. That was all down to being blinking brilliant, especially in the second leg of the, the semis and then the final. So I will always give him that and he will always have that and I think the fact that that's the way that we did get promoted and I think he'd probably say a year earlier than he was planning I don't think he'll ever is at risk of getting sacked unless we were you know, 20 points adrift at the bottom of the league which we're not so at the moment he's doing the job that he's been asked to do is it pretty? no it's not but (laughs) if we stay up that's the main aim this season and he has talked a lot about evolving the playing style um, as time goes on. So I'd like to see us give him the chance to do it. I mentioned to you before that I'd listened to the last episode that you'd released before we were recording, which was with Becca, the Burnley fan. Yeah. And they've obviously stuck with Sean Dyche, who is was an ex-Cobblers player, by the way, and, and from Kettering. He, you know, he's done a ma- marvellous job. He's done an absolutely incredible job at Burnley. And that's because he's been given the time to do it. You know, I, I just think it's about time that we as a football club gave somebody the same opportunity. Fine, if, if it really doesn't go right, then yeah, make the change. But I think he deserves the opportunity, Keith, personally. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm behind him. I, as I said, I don't like it when we lose and that does happen more than, more often than not at the moment. But as long as we stay up this season and as long as we improve again next season, I'll be happy.
1: Fair enough. So half of the seat, just over half of the season done now. What would your prediction be for when Northampton will end up come the end of the season?
0: I said that we'd finish somewhere between sixteenth and twentieth at the start of the season. I still believe that that will be the case. It's it's quite tight down at the bottom of League One at the moment. So I, I will go with it, it. It will be within that bracket. Yeah. But if if you want an actual proper <laughs> position then I will go with 19th.
1: Okay, fair enough. Well, thank you very much, Charles, for joining us on this episode. Just before we go, tell us a little bit more about your podcast and where we can listen to it.
0: Uh, yeah so it's called it's all cobblers to me it's available on all podcast players and apps um, also you can visit our website cobblers to dot com it's the original Northampton Town fans podcast we talk to players ex and current as often as we can We talk to the uh, people behind the scenes at the Football Club too and it comes out every Tuesday where we basically have a bit of a laugh looking back at the previous defeat and we um, talk about any other news and then on a Friday we have our preview show which is always with a guest from the opposition. So do go and check us out. It's all Cobblers to me everywhere that you can get podcasts.
1: Thank you very much, Charles. Thanks for agreeing to join us.
0: Thanks, James. It's been really good. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Thanks again to Charles for talking to us and of course thank you for listening. If you'd like to help me on my quest to speak to at least one fan from each of the clubs in the 92 and talk all about your club you can find us on Twitter at the92podcast or drop us an email at the92podcast at gmail.com and if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the 92 podcast wherever it is that you found this episode and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts it would really help us if you left us a rating and a review. Next time, I'll be ticking off another club in the 92. See you then.